that many of you, you joke with, with me and Ashley about our uh, sort of addiction to Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee. I just love it. It's something that I, I enjoyed in college, and, and uh, it's just something that is just part of our lives. I'm not addicted to it. I do have self-control over it. But uh, we are on a first-name basis with a lot of the guys that work at Dunkin' Donuts in town. You think I'm kidding. And uh, I invited uh, the manager of, of one of the Dunkin' Donuts in town to recently join us at the Access Day at the Spikes. And he came uh, with him and his family. They've only been in town for two months. And uh, they just had a wonderful time with us, hanging out and so forth. And I know many of you guys connected. And I'm just believing that someday they're going to be here and visit the church and and God's going to draw them to himself. But it was just a great opportunity to connect. And, and then he said, well, I didn't realize you were the pastor of all of these people. And he said, what I want to do, I want to give you Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee cups for everybody in the church. And so when you leave today, there's like 170 of these. <laughs> As you leave, go ahead and take one, two, five, however many you want. We're, just take all of them. And uh, he just wanted to give those to us. And as you see them, uh, you, you can pray for me. And uh, I was like, it had to be the week that I was talking about self-control, that he gives me these cups. And they were in the back of my car all week. But anyway, just kind of a fun thing. They're in the, on the foyer when you leave uh, this morning. Well, I'm looking forward to vacation in the month of September. And I want to set up our scripture uh, this morning. Once uh, you begin having children, you realize that the process of going on vacation quickly turns from, you know, packing the night before to, you know, the Monday prior to leaving. You begin this long process of cleaning, washing, folding, getting ready. And by the end of the, the, the day when we load our van, there's about nine suitcases, three or four backpacks of toys, diaper bags, pack-in-plays. You know, we've got beach chairs. And I, our car is so full that you can't really fit a football in it. It is just absolutely absolutely packed and uh you know if you ever see us and we're on our way out of town don't ask you know to open the back of our van because it's like an avalanche you know you just you get there and you just open everything's like you know it falls out so but how many of you you you've packed and you've rushed and you got together you you hit the road for a week-long trip and you're about 30 minutes out of town and all of a sudden you begin to think of the stuff you forgot you forgot the suntan lotion you forgot you know, the flip-flops, and, and those things begin hitting your mind, and you're kind of jotting down notes of place, places you need to go when you get to your destination to uh, kind of pick those things up. Now, how many of us, you've been about 30 minutes on the road, and it hits your mind, did I leave the garage door open? <laughs> you're laughing because it's happened. Or I know we locked, honey, I know we locked the front door, but did you lock the back door last week? Or last time you exited the back doors, the basement door open, and, and all of a sudden you have this kind of unsettling feeling. My house is potentially vulnerable. The window may be cracked. Don't know if we left the garage door open. Someone may have access to, to our home. Years ago, I had a friend that had a squirrel that got in his house while he was gone for a week. And it ripped and destroyed all kinds of things as it was trying to find a way out of the home uh, because the house was vulnerable. And it's in that moment you've got a choice. Do you sweat it out for the week and constantly have that weighing in the back of your mind, the what ifs? Or do you call a friend and ask them to come uh, check out uh, your home? Would you please stand with me this morning and turn to Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28. 
We're going to read two translations. So the first translation is the message translation. And the second will be the NIV. The message translation says this. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Proverbs 25, 28 from the NIV says, A city like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Would I pray that your word would speak for itself in a unique way for each one of us this morning. And I pray that we would leave uh, being more like you. Lord, that you would challenge, that you would encourage, that you would equip us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I am a, a visual person, those of you that know me well. And so I'm the guy that for years walks out of a movie theater. We, we, we're not huge movie people, but occasionally we'll go. And you'll hear the person say, the book was so much better than the movie. And, and every time I hear that statement, I'm like, how can a book possibly be better than a movie? Because I'm a visual person. There is absolutely no book in my mind, that is better than a movie because the visual side of it is just, I, I'm that person that learns by seeing and, and by observing. And, and uh, I'm the guy that, you know, recently we were, I was installing a three-way switch. And so you get a three-way switch at the house and I'm not an electrician. So you pull it out and you got about eight pages of like that size two font. And, and what do I do? I do like the vast majority of men do. You throw the directions out. And you just try to connect. There's only three wires. So, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> so what I do is I turn to my full-time uh, virtual assistant. Her name's YouTube. And I search how to wire a three-way switch. And I watch, hopefully, somebody that knows what they're doing, wire a three-way switch. And then one, two, three, you know, boom, we're, we're ready to go. Because I learn from watching. I learn from seeing. And so one of the things that I love so much about the book of Proverbs is it paints a very graphic picture for so many of the subjects that we're talking about. And so as we approach this idea of sin, self-control, and surrender, the Bible is saying that for those of us that lack self-control, it says, I want you to picture yourself driving through the inner city. And you see the homes, you see the projects, you see the row houses. And some of them, they have the doors broken in. They have the windows that are smashed or cracked open. It says, picture a city. And when we think of the Old Testament, we think of the book of, of Nehemiah. We talk about the walls in the Old Testament of a city representing security. They represent a place of stability that, that represents peace in the people's lives because they're locked in by these city walls. And the Bible says that our lives are, are like a city, that our lives are like a home, and that those that lack self-control, that their lives are cracked open, that they're vulnerable, that there's the potential for things to happen. And yet you contrast that with what we see in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, that it says that those are, of us that are followers of Jesus, that the fruit of our lives should be things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then he had to throw in self-control. That one of the distinctives, one of the marks as, as you and I pursue a relationship with Christ is that you and I are to be people that have self-control in a culture that I believe lacks control in so many ways. I mean, really. 
We look at addiction. We look at the bondage and the slavery to sin in our nation. And you you and I are to be people that are marked by self-control. Self-control means that we don't live in bondage to the desires and the passions and the appetite of of our flesh. Self-control, you can't reduce it down to simply self-help. So many people will say self-help and self-control, they're the same thing. But, but you and I can't have self-control simply based on our own strength and our own willpower or self-determination. Self-control is the fruit of what? It's not the fruit of my efforts. It's not the fruit of my strength or, or my ability or my power. But it's the working of the Holy Spirit of God, his active agent in the world today that indwells the life of a believer that produces many things, and by default, one of those things is self-control. And biblically speaking, self-control means walking and abiding in the, in the Spirit under the Lordship of Christ. And I've said over and over and over in this series that it doesn't come by trying harder, but by surrendering more. John Maxwell, the great... Uh, leadership author says, in, in reading of the lives of great people, I found the first victory they won was over themselves. And so self-control kind of in the original language means to grip or to take hold of. What I want to submit to you this morning is that self-control is more about surrender, that you can actually get a grip, that you can actually have control when you surrender more and more and you release more and more of your life to Christ. And so if you're struggling in the area of self-control, I think a wonderful prayer would be that Jesus, would you empower me and help me by surrendering more and more of my life to you in such a degree that kind of the only natural byproduct is self-control in every area of my life. So do we live in a culture and a society that's filled with self-control? Sounds kind of ridiculous to even ask the question. The reality is that our nation is in bondage. Our nation is addicted on so many levels. Daniel uh, Akis, the secular uh, author, wrote in, in his study, Who's in Charge Here? He said, life in the modern Western cultures is like a giant all-you-can-eat buffet, ordering more calories, credits, sex, and intoxicants than just about anywhere else. And you can take it to excess to a degree that our forebearers might have never imagined to happen with more possibilities for pleasure and fewer rules and constraints than ever before, the secular author says the happy few will be those that exercise self-control. In a recent study by Columbia University, The Blind Eye to Addiction, it says 40 million Americans aged 12 and older meet the clinical criteria for addiction involving nicotine, alcohol, or drugs. When you combine these, it's more than those that struggle with heart disease, diabetes, and cancer combined. What I want you to see this morning is that one of the ways that you and I are set apart, one of the ways that you and I are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, is not when our lives mirror the culture around us, but that we become what they desire to be. And I believe that deep-rooted in the heart of humanity is a desire to be free in every area And one of the ways that we lead, one of the ways that we represent Christ is the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, producing that freedom that's so evident, it's so set apart, that it impacts those who are around us. I want you to see this definition of addiction that will be on the screen. Ed Welsh, a Christian psychologist, describes it this way. 
Addiction is a sin that you cannot seem to stop because of its great power over you. In this way, it's self-selected enslavement to an idol. There are two words that I want to highlight in this definition before we move on. The first word is, is the word sin. That it's more than just an addiction. It's more than just that we lack control. It's not just a money problem. It's not just an alcohol problem. It's not just a food problem or an internet or a smartphone or a, or a shopping problem. But at the end of the day, it's sin. And the vast majority of people that have the potential to become addicted to whatever it is, the, many of those things are wonderful things. And I wish that the body of Christ would be so set apart in this area. But the, the truth of the matter is we can be just as addicted as people that are outside of relationship with Christ. But the root is, is sin. That it's not just a struggle. It's not just an issue. But, it, but it's sin. It's an unhealthy interest where you're placing your time, energy, and emotion on a person, place, or thing that becomes a lowercase god to your life. An addiction is not an unbalanced life. It's not just poor choices or something in excess. It's sin. The second word is self-controlled, and this is or self-selected. This is important because so many uh, people that struggle with addiction, we think drugs, we think alcohol, and so forth. But 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 so many of the addictions that we see in the body of Christ are things that are self. Selected. They're good things, but they're out of proportion. They become Lord, they become, and they kind of dethrone God when it comes to the time, energy, and emotion, and the value and the worth that we place on them. And they become a lowercase God in our lives, and they're self-selected. And this is important because so many uh, that, that struggle in the area of addiction, they have kind of this victim mentality. That it's a result of my mom's choices, it's the result of my, my dad's choices, it was connected with my upbringing... And so forth. And, and the truth of the matter is that when Christians struggle with this idea of addiction, that it's self-selected. The vast majority of times it's an area of sin that you've chosen and that you've chosen over and over and over again. Because, you know, the, the biblical principle is that when you and I come to Christ, we're a new creation in Christ. That you and I, through Christ, have the power to break strongholds in our lives. But if you uh, don't see them as something that's self-selected and you, you break on or you kind of put on this victim mentality, what you have is what we see with so many that struggle in the areas of, of drugs and alcohol and, and people that struggle with, with sex and so forth. They'll, they'll have almost this victim mentality. When you begin to scratch beyond the surface, they almost have this list of excuses and this list of reasons why they're not able to walk in victory. But if you see them as things that you've chosen, a lifestyle that you've embraced, even if you don't feel at times you have the power to break that, you cannot live by excuse. One of the things I want you to see from the book of Proverbs is that this cycle of sin really is addiction, and addiction is no different than idolatry. When you hear the word addiction, you think of the drug addict that's homeless with a needle in their arm. That they're living under a, a bridge in an inner city. You know, they're robbing people and they're stealing to feed this addiction. But in the body of Christ, addiction runs rampant. Whether it's food, whether it's caffeine, whether it's the internet, whether it's your career. 
being addicted in a relationship with someone that's not your spouse. And at the end of the day, when you close the gap, it's, it's idolatry. That the true character of all addictions is that we, you and I, we've chose to go outside of God's boundaries, which are associated with his blessings in his kingdom. And we begin to search in the land of idolatry and turn to those things because we crave something more in creation when we should be satisfied in the creator. That idolatry and addiction are the same thing. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says that they exchanged, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. And so Paul is writing to the city of Rome and he's saying in this chapter that people's faith in Jesus, it's being reported all around the world at that particular time, but now we see in the book of Romans that the wrath of God against mankind is is being poured out. And I know that there are many that believe, they see that and they perceive God's wrath as like that God's this angry kind of tyrant or or taskmaster that's kind of sitting up there on his throne in heaven as people are sinning, you know, that he's blasting them and he's sending his, his wrath and his, his judgment on humanity as if he's angry and doesn't love his creation. And when I, when I hear that, to me it's not a, a healthy picture of what the Bible says is a perfect, loving, heavenly father that you and I are in a dispensation, a period of time where his grace and his mercies, the Bible said, are, are, are new and, and available each and every, every day of our lives. What father would hand a son or a daughter that he loved and he valued and, and would hand them a cup of poison and say, because of the consequences of your actions, you must drink this. I mean, that doesn't seem like a picture of, of God the Father. And yet, on the other hand, a loving father in so many ways will allow disobedience at times to to be exposed so that the consequences will be felt because the result or what it will produce is Christ-likeness. And I think what happens many times is God gives us his word. He says these are are the boundaries for, for marriage. These are the boundaries for healthy relationships in the home. These are the boundaries for for a marriage. And when you choose to live outside of my established boundaries, within the boundaries, boundaries are my blessings, like the reaping and sowing principle. But when you, when you move outside of the boundaries, that, that there are consequences associated, that there's a cost to living outside of those boundaries. Which is why he goes on in, in the book of Romans, that Paul is saying that these people that God, God loves, they, that God's invisible qualities, that his eternal powers in, in verse 20, his divine nature has been made known so that men are without excuse. And yet they're exchanging the truth and the exchange of that reality for a lie. Now they're now worshiping other things. And there's this displacement of, of worship. So the Bible says that he gives them over to shameful lusts. We see the cause and effect of idolatry in our lives. That addiction is idolatry. Whether it's TV, Taco Bell, or your treadmill. The body of Christ is filled with, with addiction. And then it says in Ezekiel, when it talks about idols, that it says that it's much more than just something that we do. 
that it's an issue of, of the heart. These men have set up idols where? In their heart. That you and I need to constantly be checking and, and praying and saying, God, would you expose things that are not right within in my heart? Lord, is there something that I'm grasping? Is there something that I'm clinging to to find my identity, my value, my comfort, my pleasure? To a degree that I simply can't be satisfied in you and in you alone. Because the reality is that so many, we turn to these things that become idols in our lives because we worship something. And if God is not in that primary position in your life, there are many things that are fighting for that position. That the day you entered relationship with Christ and you say, God, you're in charge, you're on the throne, I surrender, I submit to your lordship. Make no mistake that every day we wake up and there are things that are fighting and they're waging war to take that position in our lives. That idolatry is addiction. Addiction is idolatry. And so we see what what the Bible says in, in the book of Proverbs about uh, idolatry in the language. We know that John chapter 10, 10 says that the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And so we see that idols lie. Uh, at the end of the day, it's their native language that they make big promises that they can't deliver on. It's like the red, shiny, beautiful apple. Thank you, Eve. That they make big promises, and on the outside, everything looks good, but they're, they're rooted in deception. They're rooted in a lie. Turn to Proverbs 30, verse 8. On the screen, it says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Jesus is saying, you know what? Can you be satisfied in me? Can you be content in in me and in me alone. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman. Uh, I hunt maybe two days a year. Fishing is just not a hobby that I have. But I know enough about fishing that regardless of whether you're fishing in a pond or a stream or, or in the ocean, the, uh, the, the, the goal is to have something that lures, to have something that's deceiving, and then right in the middle of it, you have a hook. So whether or not it's a fly or a fishing lure or you're going old school and you've got like a rusty hook with corn and worms, you dress up the outside but beyond the surface of what's appealing, beyond the surface of what's attractive is is a hook. And in this area of sin, there's always a hook associated with that which looks pleasurable. And on the outside, it promises a lot, but underneath of what's tempting you time and time again, whether it's food or, or the internet or, or a relationship or an unhealthy obsession with the sport, there's the potential for that hook to bite and to destroy. And so let's get PG-13 rated for a minute as you turn. Proverbs chapter 5 is a caution against adultery. And I believe that these verses that we're reading is more than just a caution against adultery, but you can use it as a template over whatever sin or addiction that we're uh, struggling with, that this woman embodies temptation. Say temptation. 
we're about to see an individual that goes from discarding wisdom to enthroning lust in his life. Proverbs 5.3. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. Here we have that word honey that we talked about with constructive words. Something rare, something that's sweet, something that's wonderful. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. And her mouth is smoother than oil. Welcome to temptation. It's sweet. It's like oil. What's so wrong with that? It's pleasurable. It's, it's enjoyable. But it's nothing but a big lie. Verse 4. But in the end, pause there, that which is enjoyable, that which is pleasurable, maybe not in the middle, maybe not in the process or in the moment, but in the end, that the result, the next day after, in the end, she's as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword, that her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. That this temptation that leads to sin, that leads to addiction, lacking self-control, it, it's pleasurable, it looks, it looks appealing on the outside, it's wonderful, it's great, it's, it's beautiful, you don't sense the hook, you don't see the hook, you may not feel the bite or the snag of the hook in the moment. But the Bible says that the reality is that it leads to death. Moving ahead to Proverbs 7.21, temptation personified. With persuasive words, so it's lying, deceiving. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her small talk, or smooth talk. Verse 22. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose until the arrow pierces his liver. Why the liver and not the heart? Some scholars believe that it's actually talking about the ability for for disease as a potential consequence to issues that we continually struggle with in our lives, but we're just not necessarily sure. And so Proverbs paints this vivid picture of sin that leads to addiction, which is idolatry. And it's basically saying that there's this lure out there, that there's this this lie that promises and under-delivers time and time again. That if sin that's not addressed in our lives, uh, that it has the potential to quickly grow, that there's a biblical principle in our lives that what you feed Uh, grows and what you starve dies. And that when you feed the sin, unrepented sin continually in our lives, that when you feed that over and over and over again, that it grows. And that you go down the same road, that which is enticing is now luring. That which is pleasurable is is deceiving. And so Solomon says, I want to paint this picture for you of what this, this looks like. He says, there's this beautiful deer that's out in the woods. 
and it's quietly walking along one day. And that's something, if you've been in the woods, you know that when, it, when an animal or a deer specifically hears something, usually its head goes up and it's running. And it's saying that there's this deer that's in the woods, that it's this thing called temptation, that now it, it hears something and it's enticing, it's intriguing, it, the deer's curious about what he's, what he's seeing or hearing, and all of a sudden it begins wandering or running in that direction. And all of a sudden there's this preset trap that it's like a, like a noose, and all of a sudden, and it's now caught. And now that thing that was luring, that thing that was curious is now, it's now caught it. And I haven't had a noose around my neck, thank God. But can you sense the crushing power that that which was walking peacefully was just simply curious, follows in the direction of curiosity and finds itself trapped? And it's more than just being trapped, but it says that there's this hunter that's basically walking around with a bow with an arrow drawn. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He's not into releasing nooses. And the Bible says that his arrow is pulled back and his goal is to destroy that which is trapped in in addiction. Say thanks for the encouragement, Zach. The piercing and the crushing power of sin. Yet as I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of Isaiah chapter 53, that my Jesus was pierced for my transgressions, that my Jesus was crushed for my iniquities, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon what? was upon him. That so many times in our lives, gosh, we have the potential to be intrigued. We have the potential to run in that direction. And yet Jesus says, you know what? Go ahead and crush me. Go ahead and pierce me on, on your behalf and in my behalf. We thank God for his grace. And yet so many continue over and over and over to be lured back into sin. And then say, God, where are you in the midst of the consequences of living outside of your boundaries. I didn't realize that my, my life was like a city whose walls were broken down. I didn't realize, God, that my home was like windows cracked open and a door that was kicked down. And now the, the enemy's wreaking havoc in my family. He's wreaking havoc in my finances. And, and it's virtually affecting so many areas of my life. I didn't realize that that which was candy-coated, that which was pleasurable, really inside had a hook with the potential to destroy. And while we focus on the habit and having strength and the ability to try to control it, I think we can have the potential to miss the whole point. That, that the reality is that these issues, that the problems aren't, aren't the habits. The problems are, are the hard issues that we deal with. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart, that it's my responsibility to guard and to protect my heart above all else, for it determines the course of my life. 
We're really good at addressing bad habits. We're really good at addressing, you know, issues and things that we struggle with. But when it comes to fixing root issues of the heart, so many miss the point. And I would say to you, if you lack self-control in an area of your life, that you're following Jesus, you're desiring to live for him, but you lack self-control in a particular area, one of the worst things you can do is say, God, I promise to get over it. God, I promise not to do it. God, I promise not to, to go there. And when the focus is on me and what I can do on my own strength and my ability, you'll find yourself falling short each and every one of the times. That he's not concerned about you modifying your behavior. He's concerned about you surrendering your heart to a degree that he's able to empower you to walk in victory. Proverbs 7 says, don't let your heart, it's constantly a heart issue. Don't let your heart stray away towards her. Don't wander down the wayward path. Proverbs 23, 9, my children, listen, be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. That we need to constantly not be focusing on on the habits, but we need to constantly be checking the issues of our heart. And this is what Jesus was, was all about. He was constantly focused on addressing heart issues. Just one example from this area of adultery. We see the Old Testament law in the book of Exodus says in the, in, in the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. So it's rules and regulations. He's saying don't do it, avoid it at all costs, don't engage in the behavior of idolatry. And then Jesus comes and he doesn't come to just get rid of the law and do away with the law. But the Bible says he came to fulfill the law. And so now Jesus is addressing the heart issue associated with, with adultery. In Matthew chapter 5 he says, But I heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. Where? In the heart. He's saying it's more than just the habit. It's more than just the do's and don'ts. But he's also saying I didn't come to exempt behavior. That he's taking the issues of the Old Testament. And he's saying those sin issues. I'm now expanding those. It's more than just the letter of the law. He's saying it's now the spirit of God. That's living in our lives. That the hard issues are constantly going to be addressed. So many people say well am I. Am I, you know, do I need to live by the Old Testament covenant, the rules and the regulations, or am I filled with grace and and mercy and can kind of do what I want to do? And I would say, yeah. It's not either or, but it's both in. That he didn't come away to come to do away with the law of the prophets, but he came to uphold them in everything that he said and he did. Jesus expands the understanding of God's law by showing that we must obey the spirit of the law as well. Is it the law or the spirit? Yes. He's addressing the hard issues. And that the key to self-control is surrendering control. We've got to surrender more and more and more and more of our lives to Christ. When do you arrive? When you slip from this life into eternity and are with Jesus. But until then, let's just not pull any punches and say, you know what? We all have things going on. And that's okay. What's not okay is to have a heart that is not fully surrendered. God, would you surrender? Oh, can I surrender more and more? more of my heart to you. Catherine Coleman, 
who was used by God to accomplish so many wonderful things in her lifetime said this, that the heavenly father does not ask for golden vessels. He doesn't even ask for silver vessels. That God asks for yielded vessels. Those who will submit their will to the will of the father. She said the greatest human attainment in all the world is for a life to be so surrendered to God that his name almighty will be glorified through that life. Surrendering. Not focusing on the situation, but focusing on on Jesus, our Savior. Andrew Murray, the great revivalist, says that being filled with the Spirit is simply this, having my whole nature yielded to his power, and when my whole soul is yielded, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, will fill it. That you look at the Old Testament and saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And Jesus is saying, yes, but surrender more, give me more, release more control. That none of us on our own strength and and our own power can walk in self-control. But you can begin to learn as you continually wake up and say, God, I need to surrender more and more. And more of my life to you. That it's more than just habits. It's more than just issues. That it's a heart that needs surrendered more and more to Christ. John wraps up the book of 1 John by saying, Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. As the worship team comes back this morning. That those that lack self-control, the Bible says, it's like a city. That that which was intended to guard and to protect, to provide a sense of inner peace for those that are...